Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. How we doing? We fired up? I'm fired up. I'm fired up. Man, it's so great to see you guys here. And uh, this is, it's an exciting time of the year. I mean, it's hotter than Hades out here, right? But, but, you know, we're loving it. And so many, I'm meeting so many people that are here for the first time. Maybe you just moved here and you're like, dear Lord, what did I do? Where have you taken me? Um, but it gets better. It gets better. Those of you just moved here, uh, the weather is going to get real nice in a few months. But man, it's just exciting to see all the people that are coming to our town. And so hopefully if you're new, you're feeling like you belong here. And I hope you feel like that. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 139. It's in the middle of your Bible. Open up in the middle. And we're going to start with verse 13. The title of today's sermon is, You Have a Wonderful Body. I love my job, you know. Because I get to come up with this kind of stuff all the time. But many, as, uh, many of my sermon titles actually, um, they, they're kind of runners up. They don't make the cut. So this week, I was really close to calling it, I was going to steal John Mayer's song, Your Body is a Wonderland. And then, and then uh, you know, the staff's like, eh. And because and, it could go a di- direction different than the direction that we want to go today. Um, I also thought of, I got 99 problems, but my body ain't one. And... Uh, but, but that maybe isn't true. Maybe your body is a problem for you. So I thought, that's no good. So I said, this is the kind of stuff that goes on in my head, by the way. And then when it comes out, it's maybe a little bit more benign. So it's called, You Have a Wonderful Body Because You Do. In fact, did you know that your nose can identify 50,000 different types of scents? That's a lot. Your eyes can identify 10 million different colors. I didn't know there were that many colors. I always thought it was like the little Crayola 64 crayons, you know. I thought that was a lot of colors. But 10 million. There are 100,000 miles of blood vessels in the average human body. 100,000 miles. That's so weird. When you are awake, your brain produces enough electricity to power a small light bulb. For some of us, it's a real small light bulb. (laughs) But it's a light bulb just the same. Every day, your heart produces enough energy to drive a truck for 20 miles. And finally, this is my favorite one. If you uncoiled your DNA, you know, your little DNA strands, if you uncoiled them all and put them in a line, they could stretch a distance of 10 million miles, long enough to get you to Pluto and back. Notice I didn't say the planet Pluto because that's under dispute now whether it's a planet or not. I personally think that it is because I was born and it was a planet. And yeah, thank you. So there you go. (laughs) Anyway, so, but all of that is contained inside of you and that's so weird. And so as we look at our passage today in Psalm 139, we're going to get to the part where, you know, David's been talking about the whole time. He says, God, you've searched me. You know me. You know everything about me. I'm so predictable in your eyes. And then last week, Pastor Mike talked about how, God, you're everywhere. There's nowhere I can go where you're not there. Even if I wanted to get away from you, I couldn't. And then this week, David's going to turn the attention onto himself and kind of consider his own existence, the very fact that he is. 
and the complexity of all of that, and he's just going to be blown away. And then it kind of causes him to turn outward once again and look at his creator and say, God, you're amazing because of how you've made me. And I think that there's probably no more important message for our time, for our culture, than this one. Because our estimation of ourselves is not going up, it's going down. Because of technology now, we have the ability to see ourselves from every angle. Because of technology, we are constantly being evaluated by everything we do and everything that we say, and we are harder on ourselves than we've ever been. And so in the middle of all of this, we've got to like shoot through this beautiful truth that your life matters and you matter as an individual and you matter deeply to God. And so this is what he says in verse 13. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What does this passage tell us about ourselves? What does it say about us? You know, I really wanted to keep it simple today, so I really have like two points, and and the first one is the main one. And as I look at this passage, the main thing that I believe that God is trying to say through the words of David in this passage is this, that you are a work of art, not an accident. That you are a work of art, and not an accident. And quite frankly, that statement flies in the face of everything that we are being taught in school today. Because the average kid is taught that no matter how he or she feels on the inside, that really when it comes down to it, you're just an accident. That it's not worth trying to find a designer. It's not worth trying to find someone who would intelligently create you. But all you are is just a collection of random cells. There's nothing intentional about you. You are a a product of chance and mutation. You are a mutant. You are. So how does that make you feel? So don't, don't even bother trying to find, we already know how you got here. There's no intention. There's no purpose. There's no reason. It's luck random chance, and here you are. And yeah, it's kind of cool, some of the features we have. It isn't amazing how all this happened over, you know, however long, and we don't know how, we don't know why, but don't look for a designer, and don't look for any intentionality, because basically, you're nothing but an accident, and you were on this journey of slowly rotting away like everything else in all of creation. And it's a dangerous thing when we begin to think this way. And so this passage cries out as a minority view. It says, no, you're not an accident. That your body, that all of you was made with amazing intentionality and you, you're, you're, God formed your inward parts. And so you were shaped by this artist, the kind of artist whose art gets displayed in a museum. But see, this goes against the spirit of the age or what I call the tide of culture. 
Because right now it's all about really degrading the, hum- the human being as much as possible. And there is a connection. When we lose touch with the concept of God and we degrade the concept of a creator, we cannot help but begin to degrade the concept of humanity. This is why the people for the ethical treatment of animals said years ago that there's no difference between the slaughter of six million chickens and the slaughter of six million Jews in the Holocaust. And how could, that, how could you argue any different if there's no designer, if there's no artist, then, then, then there's just collections of cells. They're, they're all just arranged differently. Why is there, there's no telling this from that. There's no, there's no separation of the holy and the not holy. The separate, you know, set apart and, and, and the common. This is why people who typically deny the existence of God will do this. Now to help you illustrate the, the confusion that's present in our society and why this is so important that we have an incredibly high view of the value and the uniqueness and the beauty and the intricacy and the amazement of the fact of a human being, um, to help us illustrate this, I want to show you several different pictures. And no, sorry I didn't do any drawings today. I know you're very disappointed. But if I do them too often, you'll get sick of them. So, but instead I have some photos for you. And so um, this one, I visited the Philadelphia Museum of Art with my son back in March because we were on a little college tour. And so we went to the museum, and I saw this. This thing, when I saw this thing, it absolutely blew me away. Now, it may not look like much in the picture, but it's called Altarpiece with the Scenes of the Passion, which is, you know, not <laughs> creative of a, t- of a title, but it's very descriptive. And it's, it's this nine foot tall by 14 foot wide uh, sculpture, wooden sculpture that, that basically traces like Jesus's betrayal and then his trial and then when they beat him and crucified him and then his resurrection and his ascension. But it's, the thing is massive and it's unbelievably complex. And we were walking through all these exhibits and I stopped at this thing and I took a picture of it. I went, this thing is Unbelievable. Because if you zoom in and look up close, you can see, there's another picture of the intricacy of the detail, how each individual person, like their facial features were carved and even like their hair was carved up. And and if you look in the back, there's like a wall and you can see the bricks and it's like red bricks of a wall. It's like a diorama, you know, it's like three dimensional. And there's people like stacked all the way, like as far back as you can see. So the dimension on it is amazing. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, who made this? I mean, there's no way that you could make this and play Fortnite at the same time. <laughs> like, if this guy was given a cell phone, he never could have completed this. Because this too had to have taken such an amazing amount of concentration and focus and lack of distraction. I don't think there's a person on the planet who could probably pull this off. It was made 500 years ago, by the way. And I was, I was amazed at the detail. I go, who? And I, I'm like, I, I would love to meet this. Because not only did he do the wooden, you know, and it, it's all carved up, and he did each panel, and then he, he's like, well, this isn't good enough. So he put painting on the, paintings on the side to accompany it. And then he put this little, like, kind of um, thatched kind of looking thing around the side, to have, like a little border. And I'm like, how did this guy do this? He must have mapped out like, what kind of, like, idea did he have in his mind? How did he structure it? How did he gather the materials? How long did it take him? And then I would want to know, like, 
What was his conception of God and his understanding of Jesus? Because here he must have been so blown away by the amazement of the arrival of Jesus Christ on the earth that he dedicated a massive portion of his life. It had to be a massive portion of his life to this amazing thing that he created out of nothing. It was like this original idea, right? And I'm like, I want to meet this guy. I would love to know what was going on inside his head. I looked at this and I was elevated, actually. I was. I, 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 it was like, because I said, this is beyond my understanding. This is thoroughly enlightening to me to think that a human being could produce something of this grandeur and detail and intricacy. It really blew me away. And it elevated me. Now, in the same museum, shortly thereafter, we saw another display of art, and it was this. <laughs> this is a urinal, in case you didn't know. And so I looked at this, and I was like, what, why is this not in the men's bathroom? You know, it, what is it doing displayed as a piece of art? And so it was on display, and I looked at it, and I said, the only thing interesting to me about it, because it was, it was, it was uh, from 1917. And so the only thing I thought about it was like, well, I don't know, maybe I had a distant relative that peed on it or something. Other than that, I don't know what the, what the significance of this is. And then when I read closer, what I learned was that actually this wasn't the real urinal from 1917. The guy that originally put forth this illustrious piece of art um, to this art exhibit, it actually, they lost the urinal. And so later on in 1950, it was replaced by this one as a replica. So it's not even the real urinal. It's a replica urinal. And it's on display, heavily guarded at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And I'm like, so I took a picture of that too. I was, what is this? Now, I got to tell you, now I know some of you guys are going to get offended by this because you're like, everything is art. I'm sorry. That's not art. <laughs> you know how I know? Because it's not awe-inspiring. It does nothing for me. It teaches me nothing. It explains nothing. It illustrates nothing. I don't want to meet the guy that did this. <laughs> I don't care about what he thinks. He can teach me nothing. I don't know what this is. You go, well, Tim, you know, it's, it's expression. Okay, well, you know, any, anybody could do it. Well, that's the easy thing. People say, well, anyone can do it, but they didn't. You know, he's the one that did it, so therefore, right, because anyone could do it, but, you, but they didn't. He did. Well, it doesn't matter. See, because I could go over, I could take a picture of this little thing right here on this little knob and go, look at it, it's art. Well, that's not art. No, anyone could do that, but I did it. No one else did. It doesn't mean it's art. It doesn't, there's nothing inspiring about it. It doesn't elevate me. I was like, I'm the same member of the human race as this person. Like, like we're, this, we're the part of the same race. They're the same, you know, group of individuals. Like, and you thought this was good? And I thought, you know what? There's no, this is nothing unique about it. We have them here at the church here. Like, I got a picture. Who cares? It's not art. I don't want to meet the person that made this. I don't care. And see, here's the problem. We have lost the ability in society to distinguish between what is holy and what is not. 
and what is good and useful and wonderful and what is not. And so we put them together at our own peril. And the sad thing is, is that so many of you were made, we all were made with this incredible intricacy. And this is what Dave was trying to say. I consider myself and I consider how I've been made and I think about the process and I'm like, God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully, I'm amazingly made. Look what you did, God, this is awesome. And yet so many of us, we walk around acting or feeling like we're nothing more than a urinal. You look at yourself, I don't like, I don't like the person that I am. I don't like how I've been made. You put yourself down all the time. And you go, oh, if I only had this kind of face, if I only had this kind of body, if I only had this problem or that problem. And you treat yourself like a urinal. You, you don't see anything beautiful or special in you. You're constantly putting yourself down. And when you put down the art, you put down the artist. And it's bad. But when you lose the ability to distinguish between the two, the holy and the unholy, the custom and the common. Because there's no one like you. Did you know that? There's no, I even, I read an article on doppelgangers, you know, like, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like the person out there of the seven billion people that kind of looks like you, almost could be your twin, right? And so, um, and you, they put these pictures together of these people, and you're like, they've never met before. They're from different parts of the world, but they look exactly the same. And at first you're like, well, and they're like, yeah, isn't that interesting? But the article goes on to say that, well, at first they look, but if you look closely, you can see there's massive differences. Hairline, whatever, cheeks, all this kind of stuff. It's just at first they kind of look the same, but if you look closely, nah, they're way different. Seven billion people on the planet now. There will never be another you. And everyone's always like, I just got to find my individuality. There's so, I just got to be in myself. I just got to be individual. You're an individual. You've always been an individual. You've never been a clone. When God made you, he broke the mold and that there's only one of you and only will be one of you. Because the, because the God of the universe took time to fashion each person a little bit different, a little bit different, a little bit different, and you have something in you that nobody else has. You have qualities, you have qualities, and you have stuff inside you that's wired just a little bit differently than anyone else who has ever lived. So why are you trying to be like somebody else? Why do you wish you were somebody else? And why do you hate the person that you've been made into? So, <clears throat> he says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Well, thanks to technology, we know more and more about what that knitting looks like. And so, since you and I are all former fetuses, let me tell you what happened to you while you were being knit together in your mother's womb. At week five of your, since your conception, that's when your heart started beating. Five weeks you had a heart that started beating. Most women don't even find out that they're pregnant. Your mom didn't even probably know she was pregnant until after your heart started beating. By week six, your nose and your mouth and your ears, the same ones that you have now that, you know, stick out from your face, they, they, were, they were starting to form. And they just, all they did was just get bigger. But they were there. They were already there. By week 10, you had fingernails. And by week 13, you had fingerprints. Don't rob a liquor store. <laughs> Why? Because there's no other fingerprints like yours. 
your own fingerprints at 13 weeks. At week 19, you could hear and identify the sound of your mother's voice. I used to talk to my kids when they were in the womb. You know, I'd go, hey, in there, you. Remember, when the time comes, go to the light. <laughs> right? I just had fun, you know? Or I'd play them songs on the guitar, like, you know, I'm just in here, it's kind of dark, and, you know, whatever. Uh, it's going to be okay. You know, I just had fun. I don't know. Because, you know, they had the baby Einstein thing, and I was like, ah, no, I'm just going to teach them myself. You know, I'll play music and see if they come out smarter that way. And I don't know if I had anything to do with any of their intelligence, but probably not. But anyway, but, but so by week 25 then, Five months in, basically, four or five minutes, there's color in your hair. And then by week 28, you could blink your eyes and you can see week 28. And so all they basically said is after week 28, between that time and the time that you're born, you're just kind of hanging out, you know, just browning, you know? Um, or unless you're Irish, then, you know, but, but uh, I don't know. Am I, allowed, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. But... Uh, now you're just, you're just simmering, right? Shh, until it's time to go. That is amazing. In fact, there's a lot of millennials in here, you guys. And you guys get piled on a lot, and you sh- it's kind of unfair. You know, people are always making fun of you guys, and it's not right, because you guys, I've, some of the best people I know are millennials. And some of the hardest working and visionary people I know are millennials. And you know what's else, what else is interesting about your age group? The pollsters are shocked. They don't understand it. Your age group is increasingly becoming more and more supportive of bans on partial birth abortion. Shocking your older counterparts. And you know why? Technology. Because you can see what's going on in there. And you guys aren't dummies. You're like, hey, hey, whatever that is in there, that's legit. That, that's, a legit, that's a legit child in there, okay? Let's just be honest. And you know what? We can, and we can debate, and there's all, I mean, this is, here's the funny thing. Whenever I talk about abortion, it becomes like the most, most emotionally charged thing and the thing everybody remembers. But here's the thing. You can have all the debates about it, but I'll tell you, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to close our ears and close our eyes and pretend that we're not seeing the truth, that we're not seeing what's actually there. Science is observation, Science is observing what is real in the world, not denying its existence. And so, it's important because the technology is showing us more and more what? The artistry, the work of the artist. And you can do nothing about it, but just let God do it. And he does it all the time because he loves life even when it's not made in the best of circumstances, even when it's an oops or a one-night stand or a couple of teenagers, you know, that, that went too far. It's like he loves life and it's very hard to stop it. You know, let me say too, because every time I talk about this, I just want to tell you guys, it's important to, for you to understand that when it, this is why I don't talk about the abortion issue very much, and even now I'm very careful, because every time I say the word, I know that for some of us in this room, it just heaps a ton of bricks on your soul. And you're like, ah. Oh. And the last thing I ever want you to do is feel or, feel or sense any judgment coming from me, okay? 
Please don't, because that happened in the past. And I'll tell you what, if I had someone trying to wring out things I'd done in the past every single week, that would exhaust me. Some of you, you guys that have been through that, you need to know, and you've made that decision, you need to know that there is a God who loves you, who has forgiven you. The blood of Jesus is thick enough to cover even that. And so you can walk in forgiveness and freedom and hold your head high. And I really mean that. The, the problem is the, the, the church has handled this issue so wrong and, and in so many ways. What we need to be doing is sticking up for life and at the same time sticking up for the women who have gone through these challenging circumstances and doing a, we should be doing a better job with adoption. We should be doing a better job with foster parenting. We should do a better job with helping to fix the problems that people get into rather than just throwing stones at them. So you, don't, you get no stones from me. You don't. And what's challenging is, is I look at so many of you ladies and the problem is you swim in this water of the culture and the water of the culture basically says, you know, hey, um, for some reason, with all this amazement, it's like when my wife was pregnant, it's like she has this glow and you think it's kind of weird, right? Because the woman, when she's pregnant, it's like everything changes, right? You just, you know, you're, 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 everything's out of place and you're, you don't feel very good and you just, you kind of feel awful a lot. But man, you guys know there's a, there's a beauty that pregnant women have. It's just like this glow, you know, and it's like, it's amazing. And you don't even, can't even put words to it. But I remember my wife was pregnant and she was beautiful. And she didn't feel beautiful, but she was to me. And it was, it was like an amazing time in our life. It was a beautiful time. But here's the thing. So we have this culture, though, that rather than really celebrate that and honor that and stand back in awe of it and awe of the mechanism of the artist and the work of the artist and the design of the artist and the potential that the artist is putting there, rather than doing that, we send messages that basically say, look, somehow, some way, that um, you know, the, 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 your annual salary is a greater indication of your value and your worth and your success in life than your ability to bring a child successfully into the world. We say that that's greater. We say that somehow finishing law school or being at the top of, of, a, of the sales force in some corporation is a more honorable accomplishment than the work and the toil and the literal labor of, of, of investing your, your life into caring for an eternal soul. That will have it will grow up to have the ability to do either great evil or great good. And, and here's the thing: do, should there be women women in the workforce? Absolutely. We hire women in our workforce in our church. My wife works full time. I think women do an amazing job contributing to our economy in that way. But listen, we got somebody needs to stick up for the women. Who, who are doing everything they possibly can. And so they go to a dinner party, and what do they have to brag about? Well, my two-year-old threw up on me, you know. Oh, wow, you're really accomplished. You are really accomplished. Because it takes more work and more emotional energy, and you are irreplaceable. You know, you can replace a CEO like that, but you can't replace a mom. It's very, very hard to do that. It's a much more difficult thing. And so I want you moms to know how much, how important your job is and how vital and critical it is. And don't let this culture make you feel like less of a person that you should have contributed more to society. You're a mom, you are doing your job. You gotta know that. Now, that being said, he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully, by the way, has to do with amazingly, awe-inspiringly, and honorably. 
And he continues on to say, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You say, what does that mean, intricately woven in the depths of the earth? Well, that is synonymous with the womb in, in their conception because they're both places that you can't see, right? And so when Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return, he wasn't planning on going back into his mother's womb. What he was trying to say was that I came out of an pl- unseen place and I'm going to an unseen place. And so that's the, the idea, is that while, while I was in there, God, you put me together. Now, this is where it gets interesting for us, because it's not just merely the fact that I exist or the fact that I was made, but it is the way in which I was made. Because if he's the knitter, and he's stitching you together, and he's putting you, he puts you together a certain way, and some of us don't like that, because you don't like the way you've been made. You wish you were made like somebody else. Now, this is an issue for both men and women, which is why I said we should be memorizing this chapter, and I think we should be saying it out loud, because how many of you, and I, this is a challenge, seriously, not that it's going to fix all the issues in your life per se, but you get all kinds of negative messages coming in about you all the time, and what if you stood in front of a mirror and said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made? God made me in an amazing, awe-inspiring, and honorable way. Could you actually say that to yourself with a straight face? Because some of you haven't thought that way for years, and it comes out in all of the angst and all of the crazy ways in which you're trying to conform to an impossible standard of society. And this is men and women, you know? Because guys, you know, we have our own issues as well. There's a lot of guys running around with low self-esteem about themselves. But, you know, not that I've ever done this in, in my whole life, but, you know, guys, when you flex in front of a mirror, right? You ever flex in front of a mirror? I don't know. I've never done that in my life personally. But, you know, but uh, don't talk to my kids or my wife at all about this. <clears throat> but, you know, when you flex in front of the mirror, there's like two things going on. Because on the one hand, guys, we're like, you know, you're like, yeah, I still got it, right? But then another part of you is like, do I still got it? Right? Because guys, we're always evaluating ourselves. Like, could I take those people over there? <laughs> you know, could I, could I beat that dude up? Because you're always like, like, right? And so there's always this sense of, am I good enough? Do I measure up? And so we're very hard on ourselves, guys, as well. But even more and more for men, there's this cosmetic surgery that's happening. Because I got to look really good. I got to look, I got to have a face that everyone can approve of. Even, even, even creeping up for men as well. So this is an issue that's both for males and females. But let me tell you something. It's a very sad thing. So my wife and I, we have a friend who does not attend this church. None of you know her. And, and she had a little work done on her face. And I'm not saying that, that like all cosmetic surgery is always bad all the time. So don't take what I'm saying to extremes. But this person had a little work done and we didn't think that she needed to have any work done. She actually had, she was a quite an attractive person as she was. This is totally like elective kind of a thing. And the sad thing is, when we saw her afterwards, it was like, she doesn't look like the same person anymore. Like, almost couldn't recognize her. Like, what, what happened to you? Where, where are, I? I remember the old person, the way you looked, but I don't recognize like you altered your, your, the structure of your face. Like why did you do that? God made your face. Like God put his imprint on your face. He designed you in the womb. Why did you, why did you kind of like, I don't know, show a little bit of maybe even unconscious contempt for that? 
you didn't get into a bad accident. You don't have some kind of disease problem that you need. It wasn't like that. It was purely, you know, I just want to look better. But there was nothing wrong with the way that you looked. And especially, you know, listen to this. You ready for this? According to the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, the face of plastic surgery is getting younger. The Academy says 64% of facial plastic surgeon members saw an increase in cosmetic surgery or injectable treatments in patients under 30. Why? Due to social media and selfies. Locally, uh, this one doctor says over the last three years, requests for rhinoplasty, which is nose job, in his practice have increased by 10% because of social media. So the plastic surgeons are like, bring it, baby. Yeah, our businesses are booming. Why? Because I can turn a camera angle, I can turn a camera at myself, and I don't like what I see. And this is like, uh, this is a pandemic among especially our young people. So I point the camera, and what they were saying in the articles are like, it's so misleading because it's all about the angle. Your angle over here might be fine, but you don't like it from this angle, so you go under the knife. Did you know you've never actually seen your own face? You've never beheld your own, you've only seen an image of your face. You've only seen a reflection of your face in a mirror or a photograph. This is why people will say, well, you know, how do you know there's a God? I've never seen him. Well, you've never seen yourself either, and you believe in yourself. But you've seen the image of God everywhere because we were all made of seven billion images of God that have been made. You've never seen with your own eyes yourself. You've only seen a reflection. Interesting, huh? And yet, you will make decisions like that based on an image, however tarnished or inaccurate it might be, or the opinion of someone else about your image, rather than trusting the God who made you the way he made you for a reason. And that is the second thing, because what happens is, this is, and, oh, and let me say this too, as a disclaimer, I'm not, again, not saying that every type of little tiny elective surgery, whatever, is always a horrible thing. The great thing about living under grace is there's nuance, guys. There's, 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 there's different strokes for different folks. There's people in certain situations where it may be appropriate, but not these. Not when you're 20 and you just want to look a little nicer on Instagram. There's something wrong in your head with that. I'm just saying that there is. Now, there's a connection here because what he says, this isn't interesting how he says, you, you wove me together in the depths of the earth, and then he says, right afterwards, all the days of my life were ordained for me before one of them came to pass. Like you wrote the, in the book. So what's the connection between how I was made and my future? Well, this, that's my second point. My structure is a God-ordained part of my story. You see, I am a work of art, not an accident. And so not only is the fact that I was a work of art made intentionally and specifically exactly the way my maker wanted to make me, Exactly. He didn't screw up because God doesn't screw up. He made me how he wanted to make me, and I am a work of art. And not only that, as I've been made, now I have a future and a life that my structure plays a part in that story. This is a very, very important concept because God made you the way he made you to produce in you what he wanted to produce in you. So if you're the smallest guy on the football team, I'm the smallest guy on the football team. Good. You got to work harder. That's probably a good lesson to learn in your life. 
Because if you were the biggest guy on the football team and you could just crush everyone, that's really fun. But what have you learned? This is why I've gone to some of these pastors' conferences. Not all of them, but some of these pastors' conferences. These guys have these massive churches and they get up and go, I don't know. I don't know how I did it. Just God's just blessing like crazy. You know, I don't know. I don't know how I, I haven't. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. And I'm going, well, I just paid a lot of money to listen to your great learnings and you, you have nothing to tell me because you don't know how great you are. You don't know why you're so great. So it's like you learn things with limitation. You learn things with challenge. And see, we completely cut off the will of God and the power of God working in us when we sit there and just assume that because we have this limitation or that limitation that we can't do all the things we wish we could do if we were only made like this. Theodore Roosevelt, one of my favorite presidents, you know, he's seen as this great outdoorsman, the founder of the national parks, you know, he's like seen as this manly dude who went out and explored a lot of the frontier, and he wrote all these books, and he was like a naturalist, and he wrote books even when he was a kid on observing nature and everything, and birds and whatever else, but what a lot of people don't know is that he spent the first like 20 years of his life almost bedridden. He had such terrible asthma, he could hardly breathe. He would choke sometimes. They thought he was going to suffocate to death, and he was sick all the time. And one day his father came into his room, and he's like, you know what? You need to get over your challenges. You need to fight through it. If you ever want to become anything, and if you ever want to get out of this bed and have a life worth living, you've got to fight this. And so rather than seeing himself as a victim, he fought it. And he overcame so many challenges. He was a boxer, and he was a swimmer. And he did all of this stuff, right? But out of that crucible of suffering, out of those challenges, he, he went on to basically have this whole philosophy and he called it the strenuous life. There's, there's a book that compiles all of his speeches called The Strenuous Life. He's like, I'm calling you to work hard and to live, you know, live in a strenuous way. Don't go after the easy life because he didn't live an easy life. And quite frankly, that's the case for, you know, there's every single person in here could look at some kind of physical limitation. And you know what? There's more than just physical. Because some of us in here, honestly, you have to know this. We have some people in here who struggle with mental illnesses. And some of you feel very ashamed by that. And you shouldn't. And you wonder, God, why do I have this? And I can't answer that question for you, but I can tell you that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And if God made you, and, you're, and there's some people that just deal with chemical imbalances in their brain, and thanks, thanks to a lot of the developments in technology and in science, we are able to manage some of that, but it's still difficult for you. And you might have these horrible days of darkness. And I want you to know that you don't need to be ashamed of that. And that you're not alone in that. And you're welcome here, and we want to walk with you through that journey. But here's the thing. It's still a journey, and God has written down all of the days of your life in his book, and he knows, and he has asked you to bear a certain weight and somehow through that all glorify him. You see, we can go through our lives, and some of us might do that. Well, if I was born in this family, and if I was born over here, and if I just had, if I was just this tall, or if I looked like her, then I could fill in the blank. And our society just loves to pump victimhood in like an IV, man, like a drip all the time. Here we go. Victimhood, victimhood, victimhood. Blame these people. Be angry about that. Strike back. Just fester a cauldron of anger. It doesn't get you anywhere. What's beautiful about life is when you have limitations and you overcome them. 
And that's part of the story that God is writing of your life. No sermon would be on this topic would be complete without talking about this dude right here. This guy, Nick Vajusic, I think is how you say his name. Look at this dude. This guy was born with no arms and no legs. He lived in Australia. And when he got to like, I don't know, maybe early adulthood or something, somehow, someway, he was asked to speak at a school kind of two hours away. So his brother had to drive him like really long distance away. And he spoke there to like a classroom or something. I don't know what it was. But then after that, he, he, they were so inspired by him that he got another speaking gig and another speaking gig and another speaking gig. Now he has a worldwide ministry called Life Without Limits. And here's a guy who saw his condition. And rather than getting bitter and say, God, why didn't, you, why didn't you give me like one arm? That would have been nice. Just one arm. He could have spent his whole life angry at God. I can't even scratch my head. He could have spent his whole life angry at the artist, but he didn't. Instead of that, he said, you know what? I'm going to live my life knowing I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and believing that and that God's writing a story in my life that's unique and different. And so that's what he's done. Now listen, I'm just saying, looks like things turned out okay for him. You know what I mean? He probably didn't think when he was like, you know, 15 years old that, that he'd be in a picture with this lovely woman and these little kids, or this little kid, and she obviously has one on the way. And that should be kind of encouraging for some of you single dudes out there, okay? Because I'm just saying, you're like, I want to get a woman. Okay, well, some of you, maybe your biggest challenge is getting a job, a decent paying job, and moving out of your mom's house, right? I'm just saying. And I'm not saying that's easy, but it pales in comparison to what this guy's had to overcome. All right? I'm just being honest with you. Because everyone can look at limitation. You know? I've, you know, Kate, I've, you ask my wife. I've put myself down over my own perceived limitations. And that hinders the, the testimony of Jesus and it hinders the ministry and it hinders what, whatever God wants to do in your life when you walk around cursing the art. Now, life is a story of overcoming struggles and using the gifts and talents that you've been given and even the limitations. So, you're a work of art and you need to know the artist. Some of you don't. Some of you will run around like this you know, and you may be putting yourself down or whatever, or you're, maybe you think you're just wonderful, but you paid no attention at all to the artist. Some of us need to repent, however, for how we've seen ourselves. When we get before the Lord, say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the times I've criticized myself when I've been angry at you or I've, I've coveted someone else's life. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because there's only one of you and we need you. We need who you are, not your imitation of someone else. We need who you are and who God is making you. Not staying under the radar because you're so ashamed of this or that or whatever. No, 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 no. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. You know, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the maker. Because God made you in his image, but to save you, he made himself in 
your image through Jesus. He became one of us and lived among us because he loves us. And the most beautiful artistry in the world is not the fact that we've been created, it's been the fact that we have been redeemed and saved. And that is the beautiful story of the art. And so some of us today need to turn our lives over to the artist. You're running away from him. You're doing things your own way. And you're destroying the work that God wants to do in you. And if that's you today, just say, God, today I'm turning things around. Today, I'm asking you to be in charge of my life. And I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that you have traded places with me and forgiven me. And I can have a new start. And that's the real art. That's the real beauty. God, thank you that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I pray that every single person in here would approach all of life with this amazing reverence that you are the author of and the creator of and the designer of. Thank you for not only making us, but for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.